There are three things that power does. Let's talk about the third one. Welcome to On My Walk, the reading podcast that helps you capture reading's aha moments and apply them to your life and leadership. Well, it's Good Friday, and I'm thinking about misgovernment, about power, and about the crucifixion of Jesus. My book is The March of Folly by the noted historian Barbara W. Tuckman. Now, Tuckman devotes her entire book, 400 pages, to talk about a phenomenon she notices in history, namely, misgovernment. She writes, Mankind, it seems, makes a poorer performance of government than of almost any other human activity. Now, we read that and we may ask, well, Dr. Tuckman, how does misgovernment occur? And she offers four ways. First, through tyranny or oppression, about which she says, hey, there are so many examples of that throughout history, I don't even need to cite one. The second way is excessive ambition. Think Germany in World War I and World War II. The third way misgovernment occurs is incompetence or decadence. Think the Roman Empire. And the fourth way misgovernment occurs is through folly or perversity. And she said, this one is so pervasive, we see it throughout the course of human history. And as she notes in the clip that you're going to hear, folly is a child of power. Listen to this. A principle that emerges in the cases so far mentioned is that folly is a child of power. We all know from unending repetitions of Lord Acton's dictum that power corrupts. We are less aware that it breeds folly that the power to command frequently causes failure to think, that the responsibility of power often fades as its exercise augments. The overall responsibility of power is to govern as reasonably as possible in the interest of the state and its citizens. A duty in that process is to keep well informed, to heed information, to keep mind and judgment open, and to resist the insidious spell of wooden-headedness. If the mind is open enough to perceive that a given policy is harming rather than serving self-interest, and self-confident enough to acknowledge it and wise enough to reverse it, that is a summit in the art of government. So Tuckman reminds us of Lord Acton's dictum that power corrupts. And then she tells us something about which we may be less aware, and that's this, that power breeds folly. Now, people who gain power should steward their power by thinking carefully about how to use it for others. Unfortunately, that's often not the case. In fact, responsible use of power often decreases as power increases. So she said, power breeds folly. And that was my aha moment. And the reason it was is because it's the third memorable power maxim I've heard in my life. You may be saying, hey, wait a minute, Tommy. I, I heard two power maxims. Power corrupts and power breeds folly. That's right. <laughs> the third maxim I learned from Robert Caro in his Pulitzer Prize-winning biography of Lyndon Johnson. In that book, The Master of the Senate, Caro writes this. Power corrupts. That has been said and written so often that it has become cliché. But what is never said, 
but is just as true, is that power reveals. When a man is climbing, trying to persuade others to give him power, he must conceal those traits that might make others reluctant to give it to him, that might even make them refuse to give it to him. Once the man has power, it's no longer necessary for him to hide those traits. And this is where Jesus and Good Friday and the crucifixion come in for me. You see, if we're not careful, we'll view the crucifixion of Jesus in this light. We'll say, oh, poor Jesus, helpless, crucified by the Romans, the Jewish leaders, and the unknowing people he came to save. And that would be partly right and very wrong. Why? Well, because on the cross was not the carpenter-turned-prophet helpless before the religious and political leaders, but the all-powerful Son of God. The New Testament writers are very clear about this. They picture Jesus not as helpless, but as all-powerful. Let me give you a few examples. John's Gospel, John chapter 1. John says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Paul writes to the Colossians, And Jesus is before all things, and in him all things, all things hold together. And then Jesus himself said, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. Now, now, do you see what the scripture is showing us about Jesus and power? Power corrupts, but it does not corrupt Jesus. And power breeds folly, but it does not fool Jesus. And power reveals, oh yes, it does. It reveals the extent of Jesus' love. Matthew lets us listen in on Jesus and the disciples as they walk toward Jerusalem, and he walks closer to Good Friday and the cross. Listen to what he says. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and they will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Jesus was fully aware of what was going on. Nothing and no one was catching him off guard. He was choosing what he would do with his power. And we have to know that. A couple of weeks back, I was in a meeting with a lot of college presidents in Pennsylvania. And Tom Foley, the president of the Association of Independent Colleges and Universities of Pennsylvania, an organization to which Lancaster Bible College and Capital Seminary and Graduate School belong, Tom shared the words that former Pennsylvania Governor Bob Casey passed on to him when Tom worked for him as Secretary of Labor and Industry, Governor Casey asked, What did you do 
when you had the power? Now that's a great question. Well, let me tell you what Jesus did when he had the power. He laid down his life. You got to hear what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. Now, most people, Paul writes, would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So this Good Friday, I'm thinking about the third thing power does. It reveals. And when it comes to the crucifixion and Jesus, it reveals the one with all power laid down that power, laid down his life to pay off a debt I owed to God for my sin. That is a glorious use of power, unprecedented in history, and a great foil to what Tuckman shares in her book. You see, Tuckman, she concludes her first chapter in The March of Folly by noting that folly is a child of power. So great is folly among all the powerful that she writes an entire book to demonstrate how huge this problem is in history. Power corrupts, power breeds folly, and power reveals. We know what power reveals about Jesus. What does power reveal about me and about you? What did you do when you had the power? And that's my thought on my walk with Barbara Tuckman and her book, The March of Folly. Now the question I want to ask is this, what will you do with that thought on your walk through life today? 